Hey there, welcome along to the second special episode of the High Performance Podcast, celebrating the Rugby League World Cup, which is happening at the moment. And these are conversations with the learned professor, our amazing Damien Hughes, speaking to people who are at the heart of Rugby League. And you might be thinking of rugby league coaches and CEOs and players and chairmen and pundits and experts. Well, today we're talking to the wife of a former rugby league player because high performance comes in many ways for many different people. You may well think that it's being successful financially. For others, it's winning that trophy and lifting it above their heads. For some, it's all about what others think of them. But you know what? For some people... It is about showing up day after day and being courageous in the face of adversity. And today we welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Lindsay Burrow. Now, Lindsay's husband, Rob, may well be someone you've heard of. He was a standout star of his sport. He epitomised high performance on a rugby field. He was the titan of rugby league, central to the amazing era that the Leeds Rhinos enjoyed. Yet a few years ago, he was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And it's a battle that he decided to fight, but he decided to fight it in the way that he fought on the rugby pitch, giving it his absolute all. But as we all know, and as he knows and his family know, this is currently not a fight that you can win. But he's not alone. He's fighting it with his childhood sweetheart, Lindsay. And in this incredibly moving conversation... She shares with us the importance of identifying a sense of purpose, the power of hope, why passing inspiration to others matters so much, where, as a family, they find and maintain their strength. She also offers insights into the mental ability that she's created to be able to provide that stable, loving home for their family, despite everything that's going on around them. And she also explains why Rob's no-tears policy has given them resolve in the face of such a painful period in their lives. I also want to let you know that we had a conversation about whether it was right to run advertising on this episode of High Performance, and we could easily have turned the adverts off. But what we actually decided to do was to leave the ads on here. And what we're going to do is every single penny raised from those adverts is going to be donated to charity to help others living with motor neurone disease. So there'll be no money made from this episode by High Performance. There will be money donated to the MND charity because of this episode and because of you listening to it. And I would also love to draw your attention to the fact that in the description for this podcast, you will see a link where you can also donate um, and help the fight against motor neurone disease. Um, I realise times are hard for everyone at the moment, but if you can do something, I would love that. Anyway on with the show. It's time to hear from the incredible Lindsay Burrow, the wife of former rugby league player Rob Burrow, on these high-performance rugby league World Cup specials. The episode comes next. Rob, to me, is still the same person that he was when I married him. It's just he's just now in a body that doesn't work, you know, like like it used to do. You look at Rob and, and you see what he's going through and he's just, you know, literally sat in a chair for most of the day and, you know, he can't speak, he can't, you know, feed himself, he can't toilet himself, um, he can't dress himself, you know, he needs help with all that and, and, you know, you have to just kind of put that into perspective, I think, sometimes and, you know, I just want to make things as, as happy as I can for Rob, um, you know, with, with whatever time we've, we've got left. It is what it is. We will, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it and I'll fight the, you know, I'll fight the prognosis, but we kind of, you know, we move on and, and we deal with things. And I think 
for me, that was a real wake-up call. And I'm thinking, gosh, I've, you know, I, if, he, if Rob can be so positive and he's the one that's going through this, I need to stay positive for him. And, and that was kind of a, a, a bit of a wake-up call, I think, in many ways. You know, you get people that just kind of wish you well and, and, and the support and the, you know, the outpouring of love for, for Rob, is, I think it, it keeps you going and, and keeps you positive. And, and there's so much to be positive for, despite everything, I think there is. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Lindsay, it's a real privilege to have you here with us today on the High Performance Podcast. We start every interview with the same question, and I know you know what's coming, <laughs> but what is high performance to you? So high performance to me is just being the very best that you can be. But I think with that, it's being consistent. And I think it's the consistency and the habits um, that kind of drives drives that. So we, we can all play the high performance game um, and be that in your personal life, in your professional life. But it's but it's being consistent and succeeding over a, period, a long period of, of time. So it's not just hitting that peak. Um, it's maintaining that level th- throughout you know, your career or your professional life or your personal life. Um, and that's regardless of what gender you are or what age or ethnic background you're from. Um, you know, we all want to achieve our goals, achieve our full potential. Um, and I think that's driven through through. Uh, consistency. So I used to dance um, ballroom dancing, and Rob's. I used to dance with Rob's eldest sister, and, and that's sort of how we met through through dancing. Um, and then we went out on a date to the cinema, and probably maybe twelve, thirteen years old. Um, and then yeah, it kind of just stuck from there, really. So I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it was sort of you know young love, love at first sight kind of thing. And uh, you know, so Rob were you at the just, same school together? Or? No, we went to right. rival schools. Yeah, his his was a lot worse than mine, obviously. Right. So what <laughs> were your no, first just, impressions of him then when you when you first see him? He was quite small, um, <laughs> but I knew, you know, I knew he was from a good family. Like, obviously, I, I knew his sisters quite well. I'd obviously danced with, with his elder sister, so I knew his mom, Irene. And, um, yeah, just, just from a lovely family. And, and Rob was just, you know, the most kind, caring. He just... And it feels, I don't want to kind of sound big headed saying this, but he almost kind of worshipped the ground that, that I walked on. You know, he would do absolutely anything and not just for me, but for my family as well. You know, he was just, it was the kind of guy that you'd want to bring home to your mum and dad. You know, I think of, you know, our girls now, Macy and Mayor, and I think if they brought somebody home like Rob, then, you know, I would just be absolutely, you know, thrilled to bits because he was just that, you know, that just all round nice guy. There was no ego with him. There was no, he was just, you know, what you saw is what you get. And he was so family orientated. You know, he was just, um, 
yeah, just such a lovely guy. And was he an aspiring rugby player when you met at 12 years old? Yeah, so he was in the, the academy. Um, I think it's all kind of changed now, but he was going through the academy scholarship. So kind of grew up with Rob, you know, watching him play in the academy days and, and going on to, you know, sort of playing his, playing his first Super League game and then throughout his career. So you're watching this then through your, like your own adolescence and you're seeing Rob go into that sort of competitive environment as well. What... What do you feel you were offering him in terms of support and development that allowed him to eventually flourish? I think it was just being there and, and supporting Robin in his journey, you know, and, and picking him up when, you know, if he, he didn't have a good game or being there, you know, as as kind of, you know, I didn't really know much about rugby, so he could, you know, it didn't, he could talk ta- tactical, you know, technical terms to me and I, I didn't really understand what, what that meant. Um, but I think, I, so I think in, in some ways I was probably his escape from rugby because I didn't have the knowledge, you know, I couldn't say, well, you know, he was rubbish because of this, that and the other, you know, for me, if he scored a try, that was a good game or if he kicked a goal, you know, something. Um, so I think it was just that. And then I think I just looked out, I, I was a bit of a mother figure, I think, to him, you know, I'd kind of make sure he'd got everything that he needed because um, Rob was very laid back, whereas I'm, you know, very organised, highly organised and like to have everything, whereas, you know, Rob would leave his kit in his bag for a week and, you know, you know you'd come. So I think I just, it was that mother figure, you know, I'd make sure he was prepared. Obviously, I couldn't prepare him mentally as in, you know, his focus and what he did before, for the game, but I could make sure that everything that I could control around that, that, that I did for him. Okay, so... You're going off to university, so you're pursuing your mm-hmm. own path to high yes, performance. Yeah. And at the same time, he's going into the professional ranks. What was your experience of those days then? Because I imagine for you that, that like you're seeing your boyfriend become a professional sportsman, that's fraught with lots of temptation and danger and lots of other distractions. Mm-hmm. How did you process that? I think it was because I was away from Rob, sort of, you know, because I lived in Manchester, I studied in Manchester and I only came back home at, at weekends. Um, so I think having that, I wasn't there a lot of the time. So we'd come back on a weekend and, and I'd kind of spend the time with Rob um, and I worked hard at a little part-time job just to kind of help, you know, with the university fees and things. So I kind of spent, you know, every other minute with, with Rob that I could. But I think he kind of had his time in the week where, he, you know, we kind of trained and then we'd have the time on a weekend. You know, if he didn't have a game or he wasn't training, then we'd, we'd spend that time together so I think the worst stresses at time I think you know it was it was kind of around exam time I'd I'd get quite stressed and and you know sometimes probably take that out on Rob a little bit you know being away from home and you're just like you know I've got this exam you you know you've got it easy you just kind of train till dinner time and you know but um you know he stuck by me and and he would probably just like go in one ear and out the other you know he probably got (laughs) used to it over time but um yeah no he was was a brilliant support for me um but I think yeah it was kind of I suppose make or break really wasn't it because I was living away and he was kind of doing his career but I think just that we had that support for each other, even, even though we weren't, you know, living together at that point until until I graduated and, and finished university. So what was it then that kept you together? Like, I'm, I'm interested in the sort of the dynamic of the relationship. I like the fact that you said you're the organised one and yes, he was yeah. the, the bringer of chaos. But like, what else was it that, that allowed you both to keep those tight? I think just our personalities, you know, in many ways we're like chalk and cheese because as I said, I'm organised, Rob's disorganised, but I think our values and what we stood for and, and our personalities were very similar. You know, we, we weren't party goers, we were we lived quite boring lives really and, and I think that's just kind of, we just kind of clicked I suppose and, and that was it, you know, I think... I knew from kind of day one that Rob was going to be the one for me just because I think because of his upbringing and the, and the way he was as, as a person it just I think sort of matched my personality in, in many ways that we were different we were very similar in other ways as well yeah so tell us about the values the shared values 
I think the family values and and kind of really kind of family is at the heart of everything just in terms of you know what what they do for us now and, and what they did for us you know kind of growing up and you know from Rob's side of things obviously you know trolling around the country watching him play rugby and, and then my mum and dad you know kind of taking me back and forward to Manchester and, and you know doing the things that, that parents do you know for the children so um, I think yeah I think we, we're just kind of grounded in the same you know coming from kind of the same area and having the same I suppose kind of aspirations as well you know in life um I think that's we were very similar in in that but also quite boring in many <laughs> no, ways I don't think it is boring like but I think lots of people will be interested in this because your relationship started at a young age and it's been tested in some pretty extreme ways since and yet that phrase of consistency is is what keeps coming back to mind about it and I'm interested in the kind of questions you might have asked or what you've learned from relationships from your own mm -hmm. that people could take and apply in their own lives. Yeah, so I think, you know, relationships need to be worked on and, and there are good times and there are bad times. Um, but I think when you make those vows in church, you know, for better, for worse, then that's, you know, kind of what you're saying, isn't it really? And I think... Um, you know, despite times of adversity, you know, you do stick together and you work as a team and that's how we've kind of managed it really. And I think Rob to me is still the same person that he was when I married him. It's just, he's just now in a body that doesn't work, you know, like, like it used to do, okay. but that doesn't change in any way my feelings for Rob or, you know, Rob is, is still, you know, the love of my life and, and, you know, the father of our, th you know, three children. So, um, you know, you can't take that away. And, um, you know, we had a brilliant life and we still, you know, in, in many ways have, despite, you know, the, the challenges that we face, um, you know, there's still very many happy times and um, and I hope that, you know, there'll, hope, hope there'll be more to come. Yeah. Let's talk about Rob's illness then, because I'm conscious it's almost like the elephant in the room for this conversation. You've described yourself a couple of times as being boring. I don't think you are, but I think what that's a, a almost a, um, a euphemism for is you're private. Mm -hmm. you're yes, quite yeah, quiet yes, and, yeah. And yet Rob's illness has mm -hmm. been played out on a real public scale. How are you coping with that? You know, it really surprised me, I have to say, because Rob is such a private person. You know, as I say, he didn't going back to his, his, his background as a, as a professional rugby player, he never liked the limelight, you know, he was always the first to leave at, you know, the earliest opportunity he could to get back to, you know, to me. And, and, and if anything, I was I would be always the one that was saying, Rob, you know, stay out with the boys, have a, have a good time, you know, and, and he wanted to come home, he wanted to be with his family and, and that's just kind of Rob all over. So for me, I was, I was quite surprised that Rob actually went public, you know, because I think it would have been quite easy for him to, to shut the doors and say, you know, this isn't my time with my family now, you know, to be told um, that you've got maybe a year to two years, but actually, to, to, to go public and to raise that awareness I think is just incredible and I think it just shows how brave and, and courageous that you know that Rob is to do that at a time when he's at his most vulnerable as well yeah but what about you like how, how do you feel about that um incredibly proud of Rob it, it's hard sometimes I think when so we've we've just filmed a documentary which is it's quite an intimate portrayal of, of our life and and the story and um you kind of see you know firsthand the devastating effects mnd has just not on the you know on the on the patient on the sufferer but also the, the family as well and, and you're seeing there how you know the care that we have to you know do for rob as, as a family not just myself but his mum and dad as well and, and the challenges that that we face we were speaking off air that i've gone through this over the last 10 years where my own dad's had dementia and i've seen my mum care for him over that 10 year period until he passed away 
And I'm never like there wasn't a day went by during that ten years that I wasn't awed mm-hmm. by my mum mm-hmm. and the fact that she took on the role of being of going from being a partner yeah. to being a carer mm-hmm. in many ways. And what I'm keen to explore is that work in the shadows that nobody sees, because I think that takes a huge. That is high performance. Mm-hmm. In, in that context and I'm interested in how you've made that mental adjustment because I think as, as Rob's wife and you know and mother to Rob's kids I just want to make sure that the time we've got left is you know is the best quality time and, and I would do anything you know Rob is my priority the children are my priority um, and they always will be and, and their happiness you know is, is paramount to me and you know in many ways to me if, if Rob and the children are happy then I'm happy you know, I suppose you get to that point where you think it doesn't really matter about me, you know, as long as Rob and the, and the children are happy, then then that's my job done. You know, I'm happy if they're happy. Um, and yeah, and I know that Rob would do exactly the same for me if it was if it was the other way around. So, you know, I just think when you see, you know, there are days when you think, gosh, why is this me? You know, I just want to pull the duvet back over my head and why, why, you know, why me? But then you look at Rob and, and you see what he's going through and he's just, you know, literally sat in a chair for most of the day and, you know, he can't speak, he can't, you know, feed himself, he can't toilet himself, um, he can't dress himself, you know, he needs help with all that. And, and you know, you have to just kind of put that into perspective, I think, sometimes. And, you know, I just want to make things as as happy as I can for Rob, um, you know, with, with whatever time we've, we've got left. Wow. Yeah, I just find it really moving, that uh, your answer to that, because it's in, like the selflessness is what comes out. But I'm interested on those days when you do go, why me? Why has this happened? Because that to me is like, it's, I imagine you got to the end of Rob's career and you thought that this is time for you yes, now. Yeah. This is, sports are selfish profession. You've got time now with the three kids as well. How have you coped with that stolen time? Because it must have felt like that. Yeah, time. I think that that is really the hard part. I think when, you know, when I look at Jackson playing football with my dad, I think that should be that should be Rob doing that. You know, that's Rob's job. And and because Rob was always such a hands-on dad, you know, it's that's kind of, for me, that's the emotional part, seeing what MND has robbed, you know, the children of, of, of a dad that was, you know, so loving, so family-orientated, would have done anything, you know, for his kids. You know, I, Rob often went to play groups that I sent him to, you know, that were full of mums, but he didn't care because you know he, he was going and taking the children um so I think that's that's the hard part for me and and you know in the future you know when when Jackson starts playing football or he wants to go and watch you know the rugby or something and it's and it's kind of he won't have that father figure so in, in some ways I have to play mum and dad to, to both of them and and and, and you know you do worry because you just think you know with the girls I think you know I'm, I can I know what girls are you know and, and kind of whereas I think boys are a little bit different and I think they need that father figure and you know, I try not to look too far into the future, I think, because that's, that's you know, that's the thing that, you know, brings a lump to my, to my throat and the tears in my eyes when, when I think about the children and, and, and what they're missing out on, really, from not having Rob as, as, you know, Rob is still there as a dad and is, you know, is still a brilliant dad, but just that, you know, the interaction and the, the things that you would do, you know, a, a dad and a son kind of thing that they that they would do is, is really hard to, to think of. So how do you process it then? So how do you get over that yourself? Do you know, I think life is just so busy that you just, I think my coping mechanism is that I just, I'm so busy that, you know, obviously with work, with caring for Rob, with the children and the children just keep us so busy, you know, they, they do gymnastics, they do dance, they do drama, they do swimming, they do piano lessons, you know, that there's always something, there's never a dull moment, you know, maybe that's just me as a person and, you know, you, you just get on and do things and do it because you care. So what surprised you? about yourself what have you discovered about yourself since 
Bob's diagnosis? I think just that I'm a lot more stronger than I thought. Um, and, and, you know, so positive because when Rob was first diagnosed, um, I was the weak one. I was the one that, you know, was breaking down and it was, Rob was almost kind of, you know, that tower of strength for me, you know, Lindsay, come on, pull yourself together. And, and Rob implemented this no tears policy. It is what it is. We will, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it and I'll fight the, you know, I'll fight the prognosis, but we kind of, you know, we move on and, and we deal with things. And I think, for me, that was a real wake-up call, and I'm thinking, gosh, I've, you know, I, if he, if Rob can be so positive, and he's the one that's going through this, I need to stay positive for him, and and that yeah, was yeah. kind of a, a, a bit of a wake-up call, I think, in many ways. Um, so it was kind of like, yeah, actually, you know, this is not happening to me, and and I need to be strong, and I need to be there for Rob, and I need to support him. Um, so I just had a good talking to myself, and and that's you know, from that day onwards, it's it's been you know, well, we tackle this head on, and you know, we raise as much awareness, we raise as much public support, you know, for this, and I think you know, it's it's been incredible. And it's it's just mind blowing, you know, the, the, what people have done, the challenges that people have done, the awareness that's been raised, and. And one thing that strikes me is that people will come up to us and say, you know, thank you, because before this, we had to explain what MND was. Nobody knew about MND, but you've actually, you know, you brought it to the forefront of people's mind. You've, you know, you've, you've, you've raised this awareness, which is just, you know, and it, that kind of almost gives you a purpose then. And it's like, as much as, you know, I hate doing interviews because it's just not me, because I hate, you know, the pressure and kind of, but actually, if that helps one other person or if that continues to raise awareness, then, then that can only be a good thing. And actually, me doing an interview is, is nothing compared to what Rob and, and a lot of other sufferers are going through. Wow. So take us through that moment then when the diagnosis happened, because I would challenge the phrase you used when you said I was the weak one. I don't, I, I disagree with that. I think it's because that. I had an insight of what we were in for. I'd, I'd seen on, firsthand so the, the, the devastating effects of MND, how it took, you know, away the ability to, to speak, the ability to communicate, the ability to walk, the ability, you know, to do all those things. Rob had Googled um, MND, he'd Googled the symptoms he was having for circulations, he was having twitches in his arms. Um, it was mainly the speech because he was still, still coaching at this time. And going back to when, before he was diagnosed, diagnosed it had an MRI scan which was normal it had um lots of specialist blood tests which all came back normal um, is this we, in reaction to the slurred speech that yes, you were suffering? Yeah, so it was actually it was actually I think Kevin Sinfield that had, had Robert was doing a presentation and he was coach for the for the academy team at the Rhinos having having finished playing and he was doing a, a speech and I think it was the word consistency believe it or not that um he couldn't say he was you know he was sort of slowing his speech and we were moving house at the time and solicitor, he couldn't articulate the word solicitor. So he was having problems with that. And Kev had, you know, approached Rob and said, Rob, have you been, have you been drinking? Have you been doing something that, you know, that you shouldn't be doing? And, and so I think, you know, alarm bells were kind of ringing at that point that, you know, there's something not quite right. And, and had for you me, spotted anything yourself? Do you know, I hadn't really, looking back now, you know, when you look back on, on old videos and things, and I think, yeah, the, the, his speech was different. But I think when you live with somebody, I think those changes, you know, those changes, and looking back, this this may have gone on for a year or so before he was even diagnosed. And, okay. and physically, he didn't have any symptoms. It, it was it was the twitches, the muscle twitches, you know, going to bed on a night and not being able to stop those muscle twitches, um, which at first I thought, Rob, you know, he was going through a process in his career as, as a coach where there were changes at the club and Rob probably wasn't happy with, you know, with with kind of, you know, he wanted, he had aspirations to be kind of, the, you know, head of youth development and, and kind of things weren't going that way. So I think he put some of that down to kind of, you know, his stress and anxiety at the time that were maybe causing that. And I think you do look at other symptoms, you do look at other things, um, and then obviously you go to Google and you Google it and you kind of self-diagnose. But we went for some nerve conduction studies and I said to the um, consultant at the time, could could this be MND? And the consultant, you know, he said, 
why are you asking that? Are you, are you a, do you have a medical background? And I said, you know, no, I'm a physiotherapist, but, you know, I've been reading up. And, and he said, MND is really rare. And, and the chance of, of it being that is is so slim. And actually, we think it's a condition called myasthenia gravis, which affects the speech muscles, but it's completely treatable. So we were quite optimistic having had that appointment. You know, everything else had come back fine. Obviously, Rob was very anxious. He was very worried. And I think until you get that answer, sometimes it's the not knowing that's, that's the difficult part. Mm. So we went in to see the consultant. And in hindsight, I should have known there was something because there was a nurse in the room um so at that point I probably should have known that it wasn't good news um and it was quite you know we went into that room and they just said to us um you know how are you Rob yeah I'm good I'm I'm fine I'm feeling really good um and then it was just like the bombshell hitting you know suddenly my world fell apart because to be told I'm sorry it's not good news it's MND was just in some ways in my mind I was thinking gosh, please let this be MS, please let it be Parkinson's disease, please let it be a tumour that we can, you know, we can we can operate, we can move this, we can give you some tablets sure. to make this better. And and that wasn't what they was telling us. And to kind of be in that room, I just wanted to get out. I just wanted to, to get back to the children and I just broke down. And, and Rob actually drove home from, from that hospital appointment. You know, he was, and he was more worried about what he was going to tell his parents. You know, they were all sat at home waiting, for, you know, for the phone call, waiting to, and he said, you'll have to ring them and I said I, I can't ring them Rob I can't I can't ring them I can't tell them and so we we got home and um still took the children swimming believe I think you're just in that kind of mode where it's kind of the shock I think at the time yeah. and and we went to Rob's parents and I broke down and, and Rob's mum and dad were inconsolable and it, it was really difficult and obviously Rob was everyone was upset um, and then I was like, I'm going to have to go and I need to take the kids swimming. Um, and I went swimming and, you know, Rob was texting me while I was there saying, it will be okay. I will be okay. We'll, we'll kind of get through this. And all the time I'm just sat there, you know, the kids are swimming and, and my eyes are filling up and I'm thinking, I've got to keep this together. I can't, you know, I hadn't still processed what was going on. I hadn't still hadn't processed. I didn't, we didn't have the answers, you know, sat in that room. How long does Rob have to live? Um, maybe a year to two year at most. And well, you know, what treatments are the there is no treatment you know you can you can take the riluzole which might give you three months you know for a life well you know why why isn't the treatment and that's kind of I think for us the frustration of why isn't the treatment why isn't the a cure for this disease why you know why and then the next day we had to I had to speak to the um, clinical nurse specialist and it was just kind of then you know then it sort of hits you and, and you kind of how am I going to tell the children what am I going to tell the children you know how are they going to react um so you kind of yeah it just it kind of all hits you and, and everything else then is, is kind of a blur around that because you just kind of suddenly you hit with this devastating news that the love of your life may have a year to two years you know it was it was just before Jackson's first birthday and I was just like this is just not part of the plan you know you know hang on a minute here Rob was so fit he was so active he looked after himself how, how has this happened was he too fit I don't know and and that's why I think it's so important that we raise that awareness and we get more research and we get more findings as to, to why why people get MND. Thank you for sharing the shock of that moment. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in terms of for people that have their own equivalent shock, whether I, and I hope it's not as severe as that, but what did you learn that allowed you to be able to process it and eventually get to the place where you're comfortable enough to come and share yeah. this with us and to me- and to try and change just one life? I think it was just seeing how strong and positive Rob was. And I think that was a turning point, as, as I said previously, because because he was so positive and he, was, he wasn't going to give in to the disease. You know, he wasn't going to give in. He's not going to give in until his last breath. He will fight this disease. You know, he will fight it to the end. And I think 
because you've got children, it's not just about you. You you know, you have to stay positive for them because that's their childhood at the end of the day and, and you just want them to be happy and you just want to it to a to a you know, it's almost kind of damage limitation, isn't it? And I think if you can be a role model to, to those children and, and be positive and and they see, you know, even in times of adversity that, you know, this can still be happiness, it can, you know, you've still got the love, you've you've got the support of your family, then I'm you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that that's the right thing to do but I don't know I've not got the answers and and but were you conscious about that then of wanting to put on an image for your children or to set a good example for your children was that a very conscious thought for you it, it was it was to be, to be strong in front of them but then actually sometimes it, it's okay to be sad and I think it shows them that you know because that they pick up on it you know Macy will say mum are you sad you know and, and and they pick up on it and I just think being honest with them and, and open and being transparent with them I think because I think if you're not that then then they start asking questions and they they'll hold things back from telling you yeah, because yeah. they especially the eldest Macy she you know I know she doesn't want to upset me I know that she, she you know she's quite sensitive and very affectionate and, and she would worry about she would worry about me worrying yeah, yeah. so I think in, in many ways you try and protect your children and you know yes be honest with them yes tell them what they need to know as you know at, at their level you know because they're very different you know when when May is sort of, you know we told May the middle child she was just very much like you know why are you telling us this it's boring you know and kind of carried on playing whereas Macy was like just you know she started asking questions as does that mean that daddy's going to die what what's going to happen what's going to happen to us and um and those were really really difficult conversations you know conversations to have you don't mind me asking how do you answer those you just have to you know my answer to, to that question was the doctors and nurses are doing everything they can for daddy and you know he's getting the best care but you know it will mean that daddy won't live to be a granddad or to be, you know, to be whatever, because it, it will shorten daddy's life. Because I just never, you know, in, in years to come, I don't want the children saying, you said daddy was going to get better. You promised me this. You promised me that. So for me, I think it was just being being honest with them from, from you know, from day one. And I think children are resilient, you know, and, and they just, they just love life. And, and you know, I'm so proud of them because they just, you know, they, they don't take on the sympathy or look at me. This, you know, I'm, my dad's got MND. They almost kind of embrace it, you know, and, and Macy just on Fridays, stood up they're doing a walk for Robert's school and she told them all about you know MND and and how it you know she, she knew the statistics better than me you know she was telling me you know mum a third of people will die within a year of diagnosis and she knew all this information and you know for her to stand up in front of you know the whole school and, and tell them about this and, and why you know we were fundraising and doing that just you know made me incredibly proud and I think maybe some of that is down to the way that you know we've kind of portrayed herself and, and we've done that and, and you know so I hope some of that does kind of rub off on the children and, and just to show them that you know even in times of adversity you can still stick together and you can get by and there's, there's still you know life is for living and and life is so precious and you just never know what's around the corner so just just make the most of life there's something incredibly valuable about what you're describing here Lynn, that i can hear of it's balancing the idea of being optimistic mm -hmm. and looking on the bright side but also being comfortable with negative emotions mm -hmm. like fear or yes, grief yeah. or upset would you tell us a little bit more about what you've learned about that it's difficult isn't it because I think day to day you, we're very positive and and you know we, we kind of you just carry on with things and you, you just try and live life as normally as possible but then there is the times where particularly I'd say kind of around birthdays around Christmas time and you know you kind of think is, is this going to be the last and and so there are those dark thoughts in your head and and, and sometimes it, it's just balancing but I think you've got to live in the here and now and actually 
me getting upset is not going to change the diagnosis. It's not going to change Rob's diagnosis. So therefore, we might as well spend the time making happy memories. So yes, there is those um, sides where you know the, there's there's the dark sides and there's the the upset and the devastation and, and just the brutality of, of the disease. But but then on the other hand, as I've just said, you know, life is for living and we just need to make the most of it. And and if not, for, you know, for Robin and the children. Yeah. So when those dark moments come. Do you vocalise them and share them? I probably do, yeah. I probably moan at Rob a bit and, you know, I feel guilty sometimes because I'll say, oh, Rob, I can't do this because I've got, you know, I've got to do this. And and then you look at yourself and you think, you feel like the worst person in the world because you just think, Rob didn't want to be in this situation. Nobody would want to be in that situation. You, know, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, but you do feel guilty, I think, at times because some of that frustration, you know, comes out with your loved ones, doesn't it? And, you know, you'll just be, you'll, you'll just say things that you think, I wish I could take that back. I wish I'd have said that for Rob, who's, you know, he's, he's sat there and he just, you know, he just takes it, you know. And I think, yeah, sometimes I do feel really guilty because I think sometimes I don't think I've got the time to spend with him. You know, I'm, I'm constantly wishing about drop the kids off at school, come back, get Rob up, you know. And and I think there is that guilt of actually, you know, should I still be working? Should I spend my time with Rob? And then you kind of think, well, I want to do that because... I want to be able to provide for the children and, you know, I've worked hard in, in, in some ways that's quite selfish, but then I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the, the bigger picture in that the reality is that I will be a single parent of, of three children. And um, so, yeah, you, you've got to kind of think of the future and, and think of them as well. But there is that, there is that guilt. Um, there's the guilt of, of going to work and, and, you know, Rob's mum and dad having to look after Rob. There's the guilt of going to work and my mum and dad having to, you know, pick the children up from school, take them, but at the end of the day, they they want to help. And I think them helping me with the children helps me in, in a way. So I think, you know, it's it's just everyone working together. So I, I you know, I class myself as really fortunate. I really do that. I'm I'm able to do all those things um because there's some carers that that can't do that, you know, that that are can't, you know, they've had to give up work, they've that that's their life. Whereas I think that there is other things going on in my life that probably does help with that frustration and with that anger with that you know upset that that turmoil there's a really interesting dynamic in the answers that you're giving here that that i just want to explore that you spoke about the pragmatism that quickly descended on you once the diagnosis happened mm. you know you said that robert said let's just get on with it yeah. this no tears policy yes, and yeah. so you speak around that in really pragmatic terms of i'm here to make the most of every moment and yet you're the one then issuing labels like I feel guilty, I'm selfish, you know. That where does that come from? The desire to have to label what to me sounds like somebody doing a pretty remarkable job. I think it's probably down to I'm a perfectionist, I think, and if I'm going to do something, I like to do it to the best of my ability. And I think because I've got so many things going on, you know, if it's not the kids it's Rob if it's not Rob it's work and you know if it's not that you know and sometimes I feel like I'm Rob's PA at the same time you know having to chase him Rob have you done this interview have you done these questions so I think there's just there's that whole you know and I think it's it's that trying to juggle everything that you know just brings out all those emotions am I being the best wife to Rob and the children I'd like to think so given the circumstances that we're in but then on the other hand could I be better yes I could because I could not go to work and spend more time with Rob, have more time with Rob. So it's really difficult, really difficult. But where does being kind to yourself come into your equation? Um, 
I don't know, to be honest, because I don't, I don't think of myself. You know, in one sense, yes, I'm saying I'm, I'm selfish because I want to go to work and I want to be able to provide for the children long term and I do all those things. And then on the other hand, I'm saying I'm selfish because, you know, X, Y and Z. So, as I said before, Rob's and the children's happiness is, is what makes me happy. And so I just, I don't think of myself really and and I should do probably, but um, the situation that we're in, I just, my priority is Rob and the children. Yeah, and, and and again, I can see lots of echoes from that own personal situation that I that I described. But I worry about my mum, the fact that she had the same answers that you do. Of I never think about myself. Yes, I put yeah. other people ahead, and yet that's not the advice you'd give to like if somebody came to you as a physiotherapist yes, and yeah. said, uh, and you'd be and they'd be saying, "No, I don't worry about myself. It's more yeah. about everybody else." And you would, you would, you would, you know, I would say that. I would say, you know, you need to take time out. It's important that, you know, you you have a break. You look after yourself. Your mental health, your well-being is, is just as, as far as, and, and in some ways it's just as important because if you're not the best that you can be and if you're not, you know, you don't have that time away, then, you know, how can you be the best carer? How can you be the best wife? How can you be the, be the best mum? So absolutely, but I don't practice what I preach because it almost kind of, I suppose, feels like you're on a bit of a conveyor belt that it's just, you know, you're on this kind of this journey and because you know that MND is a life limiting condition I'm willing to sacrifice my time to make sure that Rob has the best time. When you had this initial diagnosis and you have this conversation tell us why the no tears policy? Just because I think once Rob had, had sort of got his head around that you know this is what it is this is this is what's going to happen he wanted that not to get upset not to to get upset in front of the children to 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 live life to its fullest and because getting upset wouldn't change the diagnosis it wouldn't change the outcome so therefore you know why spend the time being upset when it's it's not going to change which reminds me of we did an interview with a fascinated man on the podcast called Mo Gowda I don't know if you're familiar with his, um, he he lost his 21-year-old son. To, um, it was a series of botched operations, but um, he lost his son and for him, he processed it that he wanted to make a billion people happy mm-hmm. in the name of his son, that sense of purpose. And I can hear parallels here about the difference that yourself and Rob want to make to raise awareness of MND and to change lives for the better. How important has a sense of purpose been for you? Really important. And and for me, I just think if it helps one other person, you know, it, then it, then it's worthwhile. If families look at you and kind of they see that, you know, that there is still life and that there is still hope. And, and you've, you've always got to be hopeful. That you've, there's got to be hope there. You've, you've got to stay positive. You, you, you've got to keep fighting. Um, and I think if we can we can do that and, and help one other person, one other family that, that might be going through the similar things or, you know, might be a different condition, a different disease, then then that's worthwhile. That's worth all the, you know, the selfishness and, and everything else to, just to help somebody else. And has there been any particular moments that you've had along this journey that have that have tapped into that sense of purpose and reinvigorated your spirits? I think just when when people you know I've I've had people come up that have just said you know that have thanked you for raising the awareness for using you know the platform that that Rob had Rob was very fortunate to be able to use that to kind of raise that awareness and so for me that was just you know it almost kind of made you want to do more and then you know I've, I've spoken since spoken to people that have been diagnosed and and I just think if I can 
help them in, in their journey, then then that again, that can only be a good thing. And I don't have all the answers, um, but I'll help and, you know, and support them just as, you know, people have helped and, and support me throughout our journey. So if I, if, if we, if I can, can help any others, then, you know, we'll do that in a heartbeat. So tell us then from people listening to this then that I can imagine that with a diagnosis like this, there's, you, you, you've seen the full spectrum of human responses. Some people, I imagine, don't know what to say and therefore say nothing. Some people overshare. Like, tell us from your perspective, what's the most helpful reaction that people can have? It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I think sometimes people come up and they're, they're literally in tears because, you know, they've, they've watched our play as rugby and, and seen him, you know, at his best. And then to suddenly see him, um, you know, in a wheelchair so dependent I've almost kind of sometimes been saying it's okay you know Rob's okay you know please don't be sad please don't get upset because Rob wouldn't want you know Rob doesn't want you to be upset and um, so sometimes yeah you kind of kind of take on that role of of almost kind of counselling them you know, you get people that just kind of wish you well and, and, and the support and the, you know, the outpouring of love for, for Rob is, I think it, it keeps you going and, and keeps you positive and, and there's so much to be positive for despite everything I think there is. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. So let's talk about positivity then in the role of this, because I think it it's an easy thing to say. And, you, you know, like... That moment when you when you get given effectively a death sentence yeah. and that beautiful phrase that Rob said of I've got too many reasons yeah. to live. Like yes. I it chokes <laughs> me up when I hear it. So tell me about how people listening to this can nurture or develop a sense of positivity, even if they're never gonna face something as difficult as what you are. Yeah, that there might be times in, in their life, you know, 
be it through the job, you know, or stresses of work. But I think you've just got to kind of focus on, you know, you've got to have a plan. You've got to kind of know where you're going and, and just kind of stay in focused and, and stay in it. And things, sometimes things won't always go right. Um, but it's about learning from that and it's about reflecting on that. And I think that the biggest way that we learn is is through through error, through getting things wrong and, and making mistakes and, and learning from that um, and, and almost kind of using that negative experience to, to, to turn it into something positive. And I think that's what we try to do with Rob. Yes, it's the worst possible situation. Rob has MND, but how can we do that? Well, Rob can leave a legacy, you know, that he can be proud of for his children and, and for other people and other sufferers by raising that awareness, by getting more government funding, by, you know, raising in helping other people with with the disease and raising the profile so it's kind of almost kind of turning it on its head isn't it it's kind of you know the most negative worst thing to be in but then making it into something positive yeah so that's one powerful way what else are you seeing because i think what you and rob are doing are giving us almost like a manifesto for life you know while you're facing a pretty dark uh situation what other lessons for life do you think you could share with us? Just, I think, enjoy life because nobody knows what's around the corner. Nobody knows what path, what cards are going to be dealt in life. Um, and I think for me personally, what lessons I would I would say, you know, live in the here and now. And if you're going to do something, you know, it certainly changed my perspective on life. You know, having a messy house, being late doesn't really matter at the end of the day, does it? You know, at the end of the day, if the kids are happy, they're, they're fed and, and the, you know, they've done what they need to do at the end of the day that that's a good day and I think having that gratitude of just being actually you know today wasn't a bad day after all you know because we've achieved this this and this that kind of helps you then to, to stay positive thinking of thinking of the good things yes within that you know it might have been a struggle because it's taken me an hour to feed Rob I've had to do this that, and the other but actually I'm grateful that we've got Rob another day and if, if that means then doing those things then, then that's what I'm going to do because I'm grateful that I've got that you know another day with Rob and it's another day he can see his children grow up it's another day he can live for another milestone so I think just live life to the fullest because nobody knows what's around the corner and, and nobody knows what cards are going to be dealt so just live each day to, to its fullest really yeah again this is a difficult question because I know you're literally living life in the moment but how do people keep this going when they don't have the stark reminder of this you've got this th this reminder every day to focus on the positives to live it what sort of advice could you give people in terms of how they can embed these habits or this mindset? I think it's it's finding something that you've got an interest in, isn't it, and a passion. So be that, you know, be that through a sport, be that through playing an instrument, be that through whatever it might be. It's finding what, what works for you and, and what helps you with with your mental well-being that's going to help you you know focus on those things give you give you something positive to do whether that be joining a club or you know whatever that might be I think that's down to the individual tell us then from somebody that's in the foothills of this difficult period of your life tell us what what do you wish you'd have known that you know now maybe before all this happened you know, if you've got your health and you're happy, then you're very fortunate, aren't you? And, and I think it's it's not until something, you know, we, we were very fortunate because we'd, you know, we'd got three beautiful children. We'd, you know, we'd, we'd got this plan, um, you know, of, of kind of just living life. And, and we were very fortunate that we, that we could do that financially. We were in a good position. So we, we had everything and then, and then suddenly to be hit. And, and it doesn't really matter then how much money you've got in your bank. It doesn't matter 
because if you haven't got your health, it doesn't matter, does it? So I think it just, it puts things into, into perspective big time, you know, and things that I would worry about then, I wouldn't worry about now. Um, it, it changes your focus, I think, on life and, and, and your perspective. So can we talk a little bit about the role of you as a partner of an elite player? Because mm-hmm. we haven't touched on this. And I, again, this is an area that really fascinates me, that you're watching Rob play probably the toughest sport out there and yet he stands out for his diminutive stature how did you deal with that it was horrendous honestly just you know every game I just I I never enjoyed going because I was just thinking just getting back in one piece please just you know please no broken bones no please no head knocks please no you know getting knocked out and and that's the thing yeah absolutely and you know I think I remember one time it was Rob when Rob played at Ellen Road and and he got knocked out and I was what I was being I was working on spinal injuries at the moment and you kind of all those things you know seeing him on the field and and just being out and you're just like it's you know I think the more you know sometimes the worse it is isn't it and yeah. you just you just want him back in one piece and and it's well that's a huge amount of intense stress for you it is yeah how did you cope with that I think you know just again Rob's mental toughness he was he would just be like I'm fine you know and and it's rugby league is you know it's played by the biggest of men isn't it like yeah. like you said and, and Rob was so small and if you look he he defied the odds because he, he shouldn't have played rugby you know and I think there was Looking back now, I think a lot of what Rob has achieved and, and the adversity in his playing career is probably what's made him into who he is today because growing up, he had people that doubted him. He had, he's far too small to play. How can he play rugby? You know, he's up against, you know, 17, 18 stone men and, and Rob weighs, you know, 10 stone, you know, 11 stone at most. And, you know, how, how can he achieve it? But, but he did. And I think some of that was probably the drive to to prove these people wrong and, and to pr- kind of prove that the doubters wrong and, um you know, so yeah, and I think coming back now to seeing you know, the stage that Rob's at now is is probably again. You know, I'm 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 going to prove these doctors wrong. I'm going to prove them. You know, I'm I'm going to outlive my prognosis. I'm you know I'm going to do that. And I think so. I think a lot of Rob's mental toughness comes from his his background as a rugby player. And you know, rugby players spend eight to the minutes of their lives pretending they're not injured. You yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say like on some like on some, some like some other sports, but you, you know they do they go on and they're the battered and the bruised and and I think coming towards the end of Rob's career, I think that you know he, he found it a lot harder to recover from games. It it took him a lot longer, you know. When yeah, it, it certainly sort of took its 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 toll, um, sort of you know towards the end. So you know Rob more intimately than anybody. So when you think of his career, how much of his success was down to skills and technique and his Billy Wiz nature and how much of it was down to that mental toughness then do you think then? I think both. I think because of Rob's size, he had to he had to have something that, that made him stand out. He had to be able to duck and dive and he had to have the speed. He had to have the agility. So I think in many ways he probably had to work a lot harder than than some of the other players, you know, that can just bash people over because Rob had to, you know, he had to avoid those tackles. He had to avoid those big men because otherwise it was, it was game over, wasn't it? You know, yeah. he was, he was going to, wasn't going to come out on, you know, on the good side. So, but I think then on the other side, I think that goes hand in hand because you've got to be mentally tough. You know, if you're on a rugby field and you're thinking, gosh, I'm the smallest person here, that's not going to stand you in good stead. You, you need to be, and, and Rob stood, you know, stood up to himself. He, he was heart of a lion, wasn't he? On the, on yeah, the pitch, yeah. you know, really, you know, so I think I think some of it is the skill, definitely, because I think to compete at the level that Rob competed, you, you know, you have to have skill. You have to have something about you that, you know, that makes you different, that makes you stand out. But equally, because of Rob's size, because of what he was up against, he, he had to be tough. So 
let's break down mental toughness then because you've got the three young children now so you obviously want them to grow up with that mental resilience what type of techniques or ideas would you and rob share with them that you could share with our listeners to develop that mental toughness that he demonstrated so brilliantly yeah not giving up isn't it and you know if things don't go right try again and and keep trying and and even when things don't go your way well actually how can i use that as a as a learning how can i learn from this how can i develop how can i better how can i fulfill my potential how can i fulfill my dreams or my goals and and i think sometimes it's having that focus isn't it and yes reflecting on it and saying actually this has not gone right but how can i make that better how can i improve um so i think taking that forward it's it's about that process of kind of self reflection yeah and evaluation and and kind of yes this hasn't worked the way i wanted it to do but that doesn't mean it's the end that doesn't mean that i can't still achieve my goal i can't fulfill my dreams it just means that you know i may we need to do it in a different way or um so i think not giving in and when times are hard is you know it's is battling through them and, and, and getting through them would rob do that with you while you're pursuing your your own career as a physio mm-hmm. he's going through the roller coaster rides of different coaches struggles successes yeah. would you help him with that reflection when he was coming home do you know rob was really um quite he kept his rugby really pride it, it, kind of his rugby was on the field and he had, you know, a lot of players that they'd come back after, you know, after the game or they'd, they'd have a bad game or the team would lose and, yeah. and they would, you know, they'd sulk and they'd be miserable for the weekend and you just wouldn't want to be around him. Whereas Rob was never like that, you know. I remember one time, um, and I think he was playing in the England International and he was up against Richard Milo, who was, you know, was a big name sort of coming up and yeah. Rob didn't have a good game and, and that weekend he was quite argumentative and that was really out of character for Rob because Rob sort of kept his rugby on the pitch, in the dressing room, that yeah. was it. And then kind of away from that right it's family time now you know we'll deal with the lessons that we've got to learn we'll deal with the telling off on monday we'll deal with you know when it comes or you know in in the after the game he was never a kind of a moody person i suppose in many ways he was very always so positive you know even even getting up at you know six o'clock in the morning to go training he'd be the joker in the training room he'd be the one playing all the jokes on people and you know whereas people are just like just don't even talk to me rob you know at this hour you know just just go away you know that he was probably quite annoying i bet at times i can imagine (laughs) you know you just you just kind of woken up and you've got rob you know like a little life while you're jumping around the changing rooms but i think that's that's just the person that he is isn't he and and i think having done this interview now and and kind of talking i think yeah actually you know you can see that from from rob and and you don't necessarily think of it at the time but actually these themes are running through how he's faced adversity and how he faces yeah. adversity now and how he deals with you know how he was mentally tough in rugby and how he's mentally tough now um and you know the only thing i can kind of say is probably that's come from his upbringing from from you know the his childhood and and um and, and probably through through the coaches that he's had in, in his rugby game as well and, and what they've instilled in in rob yeah i suppose it's that old saying isn't it that how you do anything is how you do everything yes yeah you know like it's funny you mentioned that about that compartmentalization and i'm intrigued to hear your version of it because in my experience of rob like and when i think about him i think that and i met you once after one of the games you were with him and i was working with a team that had just beaten leads quite heavily at headingly and when i bumped into him i was a bit reserved thinking he might have been upset and he couldn't have been <laughs> nicer or kinder yes, yeah. or just the normal Rob and, and yeah. then I was on the receiving end of working with teams that got a good hiding from mm-hmm. teams yes, that yeah. Rob was in <laughs> and you see him and he was still the same Rob and it was yes, that consistency yeah. again Absolutely, that you and him yes, yeah. do that 
but you never got too high and never got too low. Whereas I'm probably the opposite. I, I go high and I you? go low. Well, in, in some respect, yeah, I think it comes back to the guilt, doesn't it? And and kind of, right, yes, I'm, I'm having a good day today. You know, everything's going well. The kids have got to school on time. Rob's had his breakfast. I've done this. I'm, you know, I've worked through my to-do list because I have lists reminding me to-do lists of everything that I've got to do. So if it's a good day, you are. But whereas Rob you just wouldn't know if something bad had happened at training i think the only time it really did affect rob was coming towards the end of his career where he had um you know the coach at the time yeah. saw rob in a different role and 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 that was i think probably as well as obviously you know the physical side of things that he was getting older and it took him longer to recover i think that was mentally for rob you know it brought out a side in rob that you know confrontation and and there was you know numerous heated discussions because rob felt that he still had a role in the team and, and should be starting and and obviously the coach had his reasons and and he felt that you know rob was, would be better as an impact player and and in some ways rob was in a no-win situation because he would play well coming off the bench so it made the coach look good as in actually you know this is working this is working for the team but it wasn't what Rob wanted he never showed that in front of the team you know he he was there for the team and it, it was never about Rob as you know or yeah. I want to be playing it's it's actually well if this works for the team then that that's the right thing and and I think at the end of the day you, you've got to respect a coach's decision but they were really tough times for Rob and I think probably changed Rob in a person that made him probably stand up for himself a little bit more I think having gone through those times because Rob probably much like me was very a yes man and he would just do you know go along with things he was never he was a leader in his own right but he would probably be there in the background you know yeah. chirping on the pitch but so yeah I think that was that was a was, was a tough time for Rob um towards the end of his of, of his career so what did he teach you about compartmentalization and the ability leaving rugby behind and then coming home and being a brilliant dad that's a skill that it a lot is, of us yeah. struggle, myself included, yes, we struggle yeah. to master it. So, mm -hmm. again, what insights or tips can you give us, Lindsay, on how, on how do to do that? I don't know, because I'm that person that if I'm having a bad day, everybody knows about yeah. it. You know, the kids know, the kids pick up. Rob, Rob, he feels the blunt of it. Whereas Rob, he's just, you know, he can be having a bad day at work, but then he'd come home and, and you would never know. And I, and I think, how do you do that? How do you stay so positive? And, and, and I think... I just say, oh, he's he's a better person, isn't he? Because he, how how does he do that? I, I don't know. So how do you see him do it now when he's having a bad day? How does he deal with that? Do you know, it, it doesn't again, because the, the only times that you see Rob having a bad day um, is when you have those difficult conversations with the with the consultants with the hospital staff or it's it's around a birthday or a, you know a celebration and and those are really tough times for Rob and you can you can kind of see it in his eyes and you know and it's kind of thinking is is this going to be my last time I don't, I don't know how long um you know I, I've got and, and he said you know I'm I'm coming up to nearly 40 and, and he said to me the other day I, I want to you know to, to get you a, a ring to, you know something to remember him by because I don't know if I'm going to be here for your next birthday and that was really tough that was yeah really tough um <laughs> but he just just does it and I don't know how he does it but he does he's just He's just Rob, consistent Rob, you know, going back to what my definition of high performance is, it's that consistency and Rob is consistently happy, is complete, consistently, you know, a good dad, is consistently a, a good husband, a messy husband, but a good husband. <laughs> but yeah, he's just, he's, he's consistent. Wow. And I think what's consistent in this, Lindsay, is that I think high performance for so many of our people is actually like... When we started the podcast, we thought a lot of it was going to be around the message of struggle and sacrifice and 
you know, yeah. climbing your way through the the pits of despair. Uh, but and I think what we've found is that it's actually about happiness. It's about doing what you love doing yes. and being happy in the process of going on that journey mm-hmm. to achieve it. And I think what yourself and what Rob are demonstrating and teaching us is how to live. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think some of the lessons that that you've been kind enough to share with us have been like, they've left me breathless. So thank you for doing so. Thank you. Thank you. Now we finish our interviews with um, a series of quickfire questions. So what I'd like to know is, what are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and everyone around you have to buy into? So I think the first one I would say is is gratitude, being thankful, you know, that you've had a good day and, and some days are better than others. Um, but I think when you reflect on at the end of the day, there's always something positive. And even from the kids, just having those good manners of, of please and thank you and, and being, you know, grateful for what they've got um, rather than not what they've not got. I think that's that's hugely important to me that the children grow up um, to, to appreciate, you know, that, that, that they're very lucky and, and you know, lucky in, in most respects that they've, you know, they've got a supportive family they've got everything they need unlucky obviously that you know what's happening to rob but i think yeah there's, there's definitely gratitude is, is really important accountability i think standing up when things go wrong being being open and, and being honest and, and accepting those and with your behavior and and kind of being responsible for your actions so i think that's really important and then just being respectful and, and kind i think to people you know ultimately and i think respect was works both ways and and you know i think as a parent if if my children had gratitude they were respectful and kind and they were accountable then you know my job as a parent I think I've done a, you know a, a good job if you could go back to one moment of your life what would it be and why so before Rob's diagnosis any point any point I had such a brilliant childhood I had such you know w- life was perfect um so up until that point everything was perfect you know we had three beautiful children we had a lovely home nice holidays what more could you ask for and then suddenly everything everything changed um so any any point in in my life really up to up to that point um I, I would happily go back to i think probably as in your childhood you're carefree you don't have the the worry of bills and mortgages and, and things like that to pay but then you know but then i would looking back the time that you know when i was going out with rob and, and we were courting and and th- those were really happy times in in my life as well so I've, I've got so much to be thankful for and grateful for um so i would happily go back to it to any point in in time what advice would you give to a teenage Lindsay just starting out live life to the full and just enjoy every second and do the things that make you happy and 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 try not to worry and and just you know get on with life and how important is legacy to you really important and i think the legacy that rob's left will help me in years to come and, and help with the children to say look what a difference rob made and um if you watch a documentary macy reads something that she's read at school and, and she says my dad changed the world because of mnd and you know so it, kind of that you know effects that it's had you know already on a personal level for, for people that you know can can relate to that and you've helped them in in their journey um it's, it's just massive but also i think in terms of you know further research that'll be, be done because of, because of the monies that's been raised um for research and and things is, is really important as well so i think legacy is really important and you know i think rob will leave a mag- massive legacy behind and the final question then is what's your one golden rule to be happy listen Lindsay, it's been a real privilege having, thank you for having me i know i know this is stepping well outside your comfort zone and i'm grateful that you've done it because i think the messages of 
will ripple. And like I say, I think yourself and Rob are teaching so many of us about how to actually live life. Thank you. Well, let's do a slightly different wrap than we normally do on the High Performance Podcast. I don't have Jake alongside me, but I still believe that doing some reflection on that amazing conversation with Lindsay has highlighted a couple of areas that I'd like you to maybe reflect on. The first one is that there's that famous quote from Philo of Alexandria that says, be kind, people are fighting battles that you know nothing about. And I think Lindsay is a great example of many carers that are working in the shadows, people that don't have the spotlight thrust upon them, that are doing incredible, amazing, high-performance activities every day. And I think that often we know nothing about that. So if nothing else, I hope that this podcast is a reminder of treating people with kindness and empathy rather than being quick to come in with a judgment or an opinion. Another important thing that I think is worth reflecting on is the shared values that Rob and Lindsay discovered in each other and that they're passing on to their own incredible family. Values such as taking care of each other, having a laugh along the way and facing things with pragmatism and an element of stoicism are things that both Rob and Lindsay share. And it made me reflect on how important that is, both in our personal relationships but also thinking about that in a wider team environment in which we operate. And then the final reflection I'd like to share is, made me think of an old quote from Nancy Reagan that said that we're often like tea bags, that you never know how strong you are until you hit hot water. And what Lindsay was at pains to point out there is that she's an ordinary person, but she's doing extraordinary things simply because she has to. She's been confronted with this reality and she's found in her resources and resolve that have made her such a high performer. And I think that's worth reflecting on for all of us, that often we look at what we can't do, what we're not capable of, or what we haven't achieved, rather than look at what we do have, the qualities that we already possess, and the amazing achievements that we've already accomplished. And by focusing on the latter element, we often underestimate the amount of resolve that we all have to be able to deal with adversity and difficulty. So to conclude, I hope that you find that this has been a podcast of hope. It's a hope that we can all triumph over adversity when we face it. It's a hope that there'll be better days for Rob and Lindsay and their family. And finally, I hope that it gives us the belief that a cruel illness like MND can be overcome. So thank you for listening and engaging with this special series of high-performance podcast episodes in relation to the world of rugby league and especially the World Cup that's taking place. I hope that we'll see you for the next episode in this incredible series of conversations. Well, look, thank you very much to Lindsay and Damien for that incredible conversation. Um, If it moved you, let me just remind you that in the description to this podcast, you can click on the link and you can donate to Motor Neuron Disease to help the fight against this cruel and horrible illness. And every penny that we made from this podcast is also going to be donated to charity. We had a conversation. Do we not run ads? It didn't feel right. But then we kind of decided, well... (laughs) Why would we not run ads and not donate money to charity? So we've decided to leave them in. Every penny raised from this episode will be donated to charity and uh, High Performance will also be making a donation. 
please continue to spread the learnings you're taking from this series. Thank you to the whole team for their hard work on this episode. And I really hope that you will agree with me that it's a reminder that high performance takes many forms, but there is no doubt about it that Rob, Lindsay and their family are the epitome of high performance. Stay well, stay healthy, stay happy, and we'll see you very soon. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.